friends, and welcome back to With Great People, the podcast for high-performance teams. I'm Richard Kasparowski. This episode is an interview with author Steve Denning. Steve talks about courage, openness to diverse viewpoints, and ignoring the limits placed on your team, working around your team's constraints. To support this podcast, sign up for my newsletter at kasparowski.com. Thanks for listening. Hi, friends, and welcome back to With Great People. Our special guest today is Steve Denning. Steve is an author. He is most recently the author of a book called The Age of Agile, which just came out. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks, Richard. Uh, will you introduce yourself to our listeners? Well, I am, um, as you say, the author of the book The Age of Agile. Uh, I've been writing about Agile in Forbes.com for um, mm-hmm. uh, some six or seven years. and. Uh, um, for that, I was uh, uh, coaching organizations in leadership storytelling. And before that, I was um, an executive in the World Bank. And uh, so I have a long management experience, but also leadership. And um, more recently in the whole agile field. All right. And when you, uh, this, is, this is the podcast about high-performance teams. When you look back at your career, uh, either teams you've been on or teams you've been associated with, what is your best team ever? My best team ever was when I was working in the World Bank um, a number of years ago. And uh, I was uh, asked by the senior leadership to um, head up a team that would um, improve and reform the World Bank's procedures. The World Bank's procedures were uh, hydra in nature. They were sprawling all over the organization. So this was Mission Impossible. And I... I went to see the top management, asked them, well, why have you asked me to take on this mission impossible? Um, he said, it's because I expect you to fail. Um, <laughs> and, and because you are the, um, and the couple of people that I've assigned with you are the most difficult uh, people um, in, the, in the World Bank. Uh, when you fail, I will have proved conclusively that this is not possible to improve okay. the World Bank's procedures. <laughs> so I was set up to fail. Uh, that is really interesting. How did that, how did that turn into being the best team? Well, it was kind of fun. As he said, um, uh, <laughs> I expect you to fail. And uh, mm-hmm. what's more, um, you can't touch the thing that everybody says is the biggest problem. That okay. is sacred. That is sacrosanct. I base all of my work on that element and the board of directors, um, international board of directors, they also hold that as sacred. So do not touch that thing. Uh, I don't believe there's anything else you can do, but uh, you cannot touch that thing. So the the one thing that most people want to change was out of bounds. uh, So it was the perfect mission impossible. (laughs) All right. Let's... um... Uh, this, this is almost like a, a guided meditation. If you bring yourself back to the experience of being on that team and uh, maybe even close your eyes, uh, try to try to re-embody having been on that team, what's one word that describes the sensation of being on that team? Uh, it was courage. Uh, courage. I had to uh, uh, tackle Mission Impossible with a team of people who we're all on different wavelengths and different approaches. Um, and here I was being set up to fail. It was intended that I fail. 
so courage was the um, key All thing right. in the face of these these challenges. All right, courage for this team that was set up to fail. And, uh, you know, sort of characterize this as best team ever subjectively. How, how do you know that this was the best team ever or objectively? Do you have any metrics about it? Well, it was uh, <laughs> supremely difficult. It seemed on at the outset I was uh -huh. expected to fail and I wasn't authorized to touch the one element uh, that most people regarded as the key to the problems. And no one had ever been able to make progress on this. I mean. For its life, the World Bank procedures had just grown. Say, like, I, they were <laughs> sprawling all over the place, and uh, their previous efforts had been made to change it. So um, I knew that if I succeeded, um, I, it would be <laughs> an extraordinary thing, and it was. And we did succeed. And uh, so the um, uh, it was certainly subjective feeling of accomplishment, um, okay. and objectively, um, the. Um, there was universal recognition that this was uh, a major accomplishment. The senior management who appointed uh, me to uh, <laughs> to fail um, <laughs> was actually ecstatic, um, All right. and he and he was worried that although he loved what we were proposing, no one else would. Uh, yeah. And he was actually a bit shocked to find that everyone else loved it too, and that the board of directors was equally ecstatic about this. And the, uh, it was a huge thing across the whole organization that um, uh, people couldn't believe that the management had bought into this or, and the management couldn't believe that the staff had bought into it or the board had bought into it. So there was this great upswelling of um, uh, recognition uh, that something extraordinary had happened. And so right. uh, so was very objectively, you succeeded yeah. and, right. and the and leaders recognized you for it. Oh, yeah. That was known as the Denning Report. <laughs> the Denning <laughs> Report. What, uh, can, can you be more concrete about what the, the problem was that you're solving? Uh, well, the top, as I say, there were these very cumbersome procedures which were slowing things down. And, okay. uh, um, and uh, they'd been around forever, and they were, each of them had constituencies and saying, you can't touch this or you can't touch that. Uh, yeah. So um, the top management said there weren't any problems. Um, so we first thing we did was just uh, conduct interviews for a few days with people saying, uh, do you have any problems? And mm -hmm. within two days, we had 150 <laughs> problems. So it was, not, it was not in doubt that there were problems. Um, and, uh, so we started discussing, um, in the, in the team. And as I say, there were, had very different viewpoints. There were some who were very you know, top down and command and control. And there were others who were saying you shouldn't have any procedures. And there were others who were saying, well, there was a need for some, but not all that we had. And so there were a lot of different viewpoints within the team. Nice. Um, and, um, uh, we argued and argued and argued, um, and listened to each other, and uh, we steadily came to the conclusion that a set of things need to happen, including touching the very thing that the uh, number two uh, guy had uh, said was um, was untouchable. Um, right. So we did a couple of things to uh, solve that problem. We first uh, in met, uh, reached out in, informally to the, the board of directors uh, one by one. And said, 
uh, suppose we were to change this thing that we hear that you are totally unwilling to change. And they said, mm -hmm. we would love to change that. We never <laughs> put any emphasis on that. So there was a mirage uh, in a sense going on that everybody thought that the board would be opposed to it. In fact, the board uh, embraced it. Uh, mm -hmm. The other thing was the uh, uh, this senior manager who said that uh, he was also opposed to change. I, we asked him, um, so, well, what exactly did he use this thing for? And um, he wrote back an angry email saying, well, I told you never to touch it. <laughs> and here are the reasons why you can't touch it. And you can't, it does this, it does that, the other does the other thing. And that's why you should do what I told you to, namely don't touch it. Um, but we could see quite quickly that um, the things that he was, look, was looking for and used it for were, could be met by in a very much simpler way that would solve a yeah. whole lot of problems across the whole organization. And so we um, put together this proposal and um, that met all of his uh, specific concerns in a very much simpler way and got rid of it, all this kudzu <laughs> across the organization. And um, as I say, we reached out to the board of directors and said, well, if we propose this, how would you react? And I said, we'd be delighted. So um, we then put forward the proposal and everyone was <laughs> delighted. And the, uh, they say the concern of the senior manager was that he was ha delighted with it, but he knew that others wouldn't. He knew the board would reject it. He knew this, uh -huh. um, how the managers would reject it. And he was, he was somewhat taken aback. And so he had meetings where he said, well, you like it, but you don't like it for the right reason. Here's the right, here's the <laughs> right reason you like this. <laughs> so the senior um, manager knew that the, the board wouldn't like it, but they actually did like it. They did. They loved it. And, um, yeah. so, um, so it was a, a kind of an extraordinary uh, um, uh, triumph. And, um, and uh, at, at the same time, the, uh, I think the, the management wasn't willing to address one of the recommendations, which was to say, look, we, if you implement this, you will have cleaned up all of this kudzu <laughs> all across the organization, but it will grow back um, uh -huh. unless you take following steps. Uh, you need to establish a, some kind of culture change that will prevent this cut from growing back. And uh, that uh, they ignored. And so in four or five years, the kudzu was back <laughs> and the procedures had one small mushroom uh, and, and the, everything was slow back down again. So in that sense, that it, it wasn't a lasting solution, but we had <clears throat> predicted that that would happen unless yeah. uh, those steps were taken. So um, it was a disappointment that they didn't take on that um, issue. But then in, in terms of having done accomplished mission impossible, uh, uh -huh. I believe that we did it. All right. So a couple of the concrete things you did, you, 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 you built broad support. Uh, you, you asked the constituents about their problems. You talked to the board about the most important thing you had to change, which was the, the thing you weren't allowed to change. And you got their right. support on it. You made a proposal that met all the constraints. Uh, were there any other concrete things that you did as a team? Well, we listened very carefully to each other because, as I say, we didn't come uh, together with a common 
view as to what needed to be done. We were, the, the group uh, had the very different viewpoints. And so yeah. we had to, we did spend a lot of time uh, listening. So listening to each other would be one uh, key behavior that we um, we didn't split up into factions and um, and kind of fight for different views. We tried to uh, understand where different people on the team were coming from uh, in the hope that we would be able to find something that met everyone's needs. So listening was key. Um, Secondly, openness was um, important, that you had to be open to different viewpoints. Um, And uh, even from people with whom we disagreed about general approach to management. Um, And so this listening process uh, was was very healthy and helpful and enabled us to come up with a proposal that, uh, because it met the viewpoints of these different people on the team, it wasn't a tremendous surprise that it also met the viewpoints of everyone across the organization from the board, the senior management and the staff of the organization. And thirdly, I'd say courage uh, to um, take on the mission in the first place, uh, to ignore the instruction that we want to do the thing that (laughs) touched the thing that we were not meant to touch, Uh, ignore the instruction. We were certainly not to talk to the board of directors um, and so we ignored um, some of the uh, explicit instructions and authorizations and basically set out um, uh, as the revolutionaries that we were to accomplish improving the goals. We all believed in the goal was, was yeah. vitally important. Um, and so we, um, we took our instructions and authorizations with a grain of salt. <laughs> So the more I talk to uh, the more I talk to people about as, as I talk to various people about their best team ever, I almost always hear these two things that you mentioned: listening to each other and being open, listening to each other and trying to under trying to understand each other, and being open to different viewpoints. Uh, it, it's it's remarkable that everybody who th- who says they've been on a, a really good team, they talk about listening to each other and being open to each other. Right. I mean, there, I've been on many other teams, uh, but this one, in a sense, the the obvious constraints uh, and obstacles seemed loomed much larger yeah. at the outset, and the the team was more uh, diverse in viewpoint than than most other teams. Normally, mm-hmm. you have a team, you have you pick a group of people who are more or less. Uh, aligned as to how you would approach the, uh, the task. And uh, here you had a, a group of people who were not at all aligned, except that something needed to be done, but they all had different ideas about what should be done. And uh, yeah. so it, it, it was much more diverse in opinion than other teams that I've been on. Right. Okay. And, and do you have any advice for our listeners? What can, what can listeners do to reproduce uh, the success that this team had? Well, uh, listen, be open, and be mm-hmm. courageous in the face of, of obstacles, and be, be clear on the goal, and um, don't take no for an answer. <laughs> uh, that uh, often the, the prohibitions and, uh, and uh, instructions are, are not based on uh, sound opinion, and uh, so you 
they look to see, look behind them and see why, why are they making those prohibitions? Why are they putting those limits in place? And, uh, if, if, and start to explore, well, suppose we ignored the limits, suppose we ignored the prohibitions, um, where might that lead? And of course it led to a wonderfully collaborative uh, solution that uh, everybody in the organization loved. All right. Thanks very much for that story. And is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I would say that uh, teams are uh, small, cross-functional teams are the key to the whole Agile revolution, which is underway, discussed in my book, The Age of Agile. Mm -hmm. And it does imply really that organizations um, instinctively and almost obsessively get all work done to the extent possible in small cross-functional teams that can bring together people with these different viewpoints, um, deliberately getting different viewpoints represented in the team so that you arrive at solutions that wouldn't be arrived at if you had people simply following instructions or if you assemble people who have the same viewpoint together. So having uh, difficult people on the same team and encouraging them to uh, proceed in this spirit of listening and openness and courage. Um, yeah. This becomes a way of life. And uh, one of the key, uh, what I've called the one of the three laws of, of Agile is to, uh, is to solve big problems by, not by scaling up the organization to handle big complex problems, but rather descaling everything big complex problems into small pieces that um, small teams can handle, small cross-functional teams can handle. And you see this happening in, um, in, in big organizations. So just a current example, Spotify, which uh, became public yesterday, now worth uh, $27 million, according to the stock market. Uh, they have been operating in this fashion uh, since they were created in 2008. Right many years ago, and it's a way of life. And the um, some of the particular uh, breakthroughs that they've had have been done not by large groups of people, but um, by small team, maybe no more than three or four people. Um, yeah. one, one of the features that really transformed their whole leadership was Discover Weekly, a, uh, a gadget that delivers a playlist of music to its uh, now 140 million uh, users uh, every week, every Monday morning, and it's perfectly crafted to the particular tastes and uh, preferences of each individual user. So you have 140 uh, individualized playlists delivered every Monday morning. That uh, extraordinary thing is was the result of a team of four people um, uh -huh. who, contr again, contrary to the uh, top management that they were um, uh, facing, um, they ignored, in a sense, what the top management. Uh, they were solving a problem that everyone knew they had. Uh, problem was, what uses 20 million songs if you can't find the songs that you would really love? And so right. all the streaming services found that users uh, were spending all their time searching for music, not listening to music. And so all of the systems, Apple, Amazon, Pandora, Spotify were trying to solve this problem. And then in um, uh, Spotify itself, the top management uh, thought that the solution would lie in an improved search function. So they had a 
around 100 people working on improving the search function. And this team, small team, said, had a different idea that came up in a hackathon. Um, is that we think we can solve it in a different way. We could take the 20 million songs and the categorization, categorization we have of that. We could take the 60 million users and match their tastes to these 20 million songs and deliver this weekly playlist. And they didn't ask for permission. Uh, they simply tried it out on the staff of Spotify and Spotify staff loved it and then had enough ammunition to say, well, let's try it out on 1% of our uh, listeners, uh, like 600,000 at the time. And once again, listeners says, wow, this is incredible. How did you know I loved that kind of music? <laughs> and uh, so that overwhelming support. And so they uh, rolled it out across all 60 million users and it was a, became a huge thing. And uh, so the, the users have expanded from 60 million to 140 million. And, uh, yeah. Uh, driven to a large extent by this uh, improved access to music you would love every Monday morning, something that Apple and Amazon and Pandora uh, don't have and haven't been able to replicate so far. So it's, and it's, and it's true. I mean, I'm giggling as you tell it. it. It totally works. I love the playlists that they create for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's the work of one one team. Of course, they've done one small team of four people, one cross-functional small team. Right. And they, they had, um, within the team, they had a, a sort of couple of technical people. They had you know, the product manager and was acting as a kind of devil's advocate. I mean, why do we need this? I mean, we already have so many gadgets on the site. Um, uh, there's going to be more clutter and so on and so on. So they, they argued back and forth and, and somewhat the way that I described in my own team and came up with the proposal that when they tried it out, everyone just loved it. it was like, and uh, um, they haven't looked back ever since. All right. Now, how can our listeners contact you? Well, I'm fairly ubiquitous on the web. Um, so you can, my website, stevedenning.com or uh, Forbes, uh, you'll find me on Forbes, uh, more 700 articles on these issues. Uh, I'm at Wikipedia and my email is say steve at stevedenning.com. And uh, so pretty easy to find me. Um, find me on LinkedIn as well. And, uh, I'd be delighted to hear from you and, uh, uh, hope you move into or help you enhance uh, what I'm calling the age of agile. All right. Steve Denning, thank you so very much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Richard. Hi, friends. Thanks for listening. And remember, to support this podcast, sign up for my newsletter at kasparowski.com. <laughs>